What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. for listening to the show. This podcast is sponsored by Made to Move Physical Therapy, and we believe that movement is medicine. If you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love, and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals, then go to madetomovept.com slash contact us. That two is the number two. Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get 10% off their first session. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Hannah Briel. And on today's episode, I got to talk with Dr. David Geyer, orthopedic surgeon and functional sports medicine doctor, about why he left a traditional orthopedic surgery practice, the reactive nature of our healthcare system, and behavior change. David's goal is to help people get better without surgery and loves working with people that care about their health. In his new role as a functional sports med doc, he gets to spend the time he needs and he wants with a patient to help them get the best outcome, and he feels that healthcare should be individualized. In terms of getting healthier or improving lifestyles, if information and awareness was enough to make a change, we wouldn't have the problems in our country that we do. These are the physical activity guidelines. Okay, does everyone do them? No. Here's what your plate should look like. Do we follow that? No. We see time and time again that awareness and information, they aren't enough to make a change. Otherwise, it would have already happened. And everyone knows the what. What should I do to be healthier? What do I need to change? But as healthcare professionals, we need to learn the how. How do we influence change in our patients? So with David, we dove into the psychology of changing behavior, exercise as the keystone habit, and how to help people take control of their health. This was an awesome conversation, and it gives me a lot of hope for healthcare professionals who are deciding to make a change. So thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. On today's episode, I have Dr. David Geyer, orthopedic surgeon and functional sports medicine doc. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. It's been, what, four years since I think since I was uh, on this show. Uh, really, really excited to, to see what you've done with all this. It's really great. It's definitely not in a closet anymore. <laughs> it and is not in a closet. And our mic is fancier. Mic is Yeah, it's not this little thing attached to the uh, laptop. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I mean, everything you guys, I mean, everything you guys do on social media, it's great. I'm really 
this you're what you do is badly needed uh not just in charleston but just in general getting messages about healthy living out there it's really awesome well, thank you we're uh, trying i know you're trying too yeah i mean it's what most of us that go into medicine did it for those reasons unfortunately you get sort of bogged down in what you do but it, at the end of the day it's about helping people feel good live well you know be active you know that's what all of this is about so tell me about the last few months in your career. I know you recently <laughs> made a transition. I want to get into it. Yeah. What you did, what caused the change, what you do now. Well, let me back up a little bit further. So after I did my orthopedic surgery residency and did my orthopedic sports medicine fellowship, I went to MUSC and was there for eight years running their sports medicine program, actually starting that sports medicine program and running it. And Really enjoyed it. Then I left to go to run the program at East Cooper for, and I did that for almost eight years. Uh, but over, I don't know, maybe the last couple of years, uh, I had wanted to sort of transition to something different. Uh, and I had an opportunity this spring to do it. It's a little earlier than I expected to do it as far as my career goes, but that's the the change I made starting in, in May of this year. I, I just left what I would call traditional orthopedic surgery practice, which is either you operate on people or you just do some sort of quick treatment to get them you know, feeling better for a little bit, even if that does nothing to get them better. Now I'm doing, as you mentioned, functional sports medicine, which is sort of more of a, I hate the term holistic. That's, I think, has connotations of... Woo-woo. Yeah, and that's not really what it is, but it's more of a comprehensive you know, treatments and prevention and all sorts of new strategies to try to get rid of your bone joint pain, osteoarthritis, whatever the injury is. And so, yeah, I had a chance to do that. I started that late July, early August. And so far it's great. We'll have to see going forward because I, I, what I'm trying to do is get people better without surgery. I think that's always a good thing if you can do it. And so we'll have to kind of see, you know, cause I'm pretty well known for lots of reasons as the, you know, a person to see for a knee injury or shoulder injury. And some of those probably will need surgery. So how that fits in, we'll have to see, but it's been an exciting change, but it's a complete mental and or mindset shift in terms of how I approach patient injuries. So something that you've, thought you would always do, but it happened way sooner than yeah. you expected. I expected to do it, and I say this only for clarification, not... So I, I'm the medical expert for the ABC and Fox news stations here oh, in Charleston. Cool. And, you know, so yeah, I'm on every day, and I'm trying to actually get that to that level with, like, Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. And I thought my plan was once I got up to sort of network level for, you know, medical commentary or whatever you want to call it, I would make the change at that point because I would need sort of career flexibility. But the opportunity came to really work with people that really care about their health and living healthy and preventative strategies to to feel their best. When I had that opportunity, when Mickey Barber reached out and said, hey, do you want to do bone and joint health with us? I couldn't say no. It's it's what I wanted to do. So before you were in this so-called like traditional model what about that model were you wanting to change? Well, I can't say that I'm going to have much impact uh, on changing the whole system, but but the system... What did you not like about yeah, it? Yeah, it's not set up... It's not ideal, as you and I have talked about before outside of this podcast. It's not really set up 
to keep people healthy long-term. It, it's sort of fixing a problem after it happens rather than preventing it in the first place. In orthopedic surgery, right or wrong, and I would say wrong, the system incentivizes knee and hip replacements. That's what hospitals make their money on. That's what surgeons make their money on. They don't make money on clinics. The hospitals don't make money on ER visits for you know pneumonia. They make money on inpatient surgeries. And it's not just orthopedic, uh, joint replacements. It's spine surgeries mm-hmm. and a lot of other things. But that's where hospitals make their money. So the surgeons are incentivized financially by a large amount to push people towards surgery. So there's really no uh, aim at strategies to prevent osteoarthritis, whether that's education about weight loss, whether it's decreasing systemic inflammation, which is a huge part of osteoarthritis. It's either surgery or quick fixes like cortisone, which yes, you feel better for a few minutes, a few weeks maybe, but then if anything, it's probably counterproductive. But that's what the system has really gone to. It's either surgery or how can we get the patients out the door so we can create more room for people who do need surgeries. And I I don't think that's a good fix long-term for healthcare in this country. We need to be looking at how we prevent osteoarthritis and how we prevent people from falling so they don't get hip fractures. And and, and I, I don't the system just isn't set up this way. And there's not one, it's not just the surgeons or just the hospitals or just the insurance companies. It's so all it's of it. Widespread. Yeah. yeah. It's like the way that our healthcare is reactive. It's and, very reactive. And no matter what that reaction is, whether it's surgery, a shot or blah, blah, blah. Like if you're reactive, it sounds like it's, it's just never going to be as effective or beneficial for the long term. So no matter what we choose in the reactive model, are we ever going to find something that is beneficial long-term and does promote health? Or are these things that we're dealing with things that we really should be better at preventing? Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I don't want to just say that, oh, all doctors are bad. This whole system is bad because, yeah, there's going to be times you trip and fall and you have an acute injury and you go see somebody and figure out what it is to get better. But the key then needs to transition. All right, I got better from this. How do I prevent it from happening again? Mm -hmm. How do I make changes so that 20 years from now, that simple little tweak of my knee doesn't turn into osteoarthritis? And and right now, there really isn't a force in traditional medicine pushing that. And that's why I think what you guys do in your physical therapy about how to optimize your mechanics and, and your how your activity and everything else and what I'm trying to do is is more geared toward hey I want to be able to play with my kids and run around mm-hmm. and my grandkids when I'm 60 or 70 I don't want to be you know using a walker or using a cane I want to be running I want to be playing pickleball but you got to you got to sort of work on that all along at an mm-hmm. early age not not once you're on using a walker or cane you're probably not going back the other way so we've really got to work towards keeping people that you know, healthy and active. Yeah, I saw something the other day. It said the best way to get healthy is to stay healthy. Exactly. And like, are there are there any other countries where their healthcare is focused on keeping someone healthy rather than trying to get someone healthy? Yeah. Or are we creating this ourselves? Yeah, I, I can't really speak to... I suspect there are similar problems in other countries. Yeah. Maybe some countries are better than others. I will say that 
since this is a Charleston podcast, Charleston has more healthy people than anywhere I've ever been. You, know, you just drive over the bridge on a Saturday morning. There's just tons of people on it. So there are people that care about this. We just need to make that the norm. Uh, you know, we we need to encourage healthy eating. We need to encourage exercise, you know, more and more. And especially for our kids, you know, the youth population here, it's very polarizing. You've got elite youth athletes. I mean, our youth sports industry is crazy in this town. Mm -hmm. But then we've got a huge youth obesity problem. So we've really got to somehow figure out how to blend the two and get kids healthier. But I mean, this is, you and I are on the same page. This is something, it's a different approach, but one that we need all doctors really participating in this, not just a few. I always wonder, you know, the problems that people that are maybe like 60 to 80 years old, the problems that they're dealing with right now, are those problems going to exist when the kids right now are 60 to 80? Or will they exist in the same amount or the same intensity? Or like, because what we know about the best way to get someone healthy is to keep someone healthy. If we can really do a better job of starting these habits way earlier in life because it's way harder to start when you're already using a walker will we see less disability less obesity less knee replacements less oa when the education has been kind of like revamped and people like people are these youth athletes are elite like they are crazy I also always wonder like how much of a bubble I'm in (laughs) and you know, like talking to you, talking to people that are like minded all the time. I'm like, yeah, we're healthy. We got this. And then, you know, you really look at it and you realize like this is a small part of the population. Um, It feels like it's growing. Yeah. It's interesting. I I can actually make the either case, the yes or no to what you're asking about where are we going to be with this in the future? On one hand, I'm very, um, excited about the future in terms of there's peptides and exosomes and things we probably don't even know about very close mm-hmm. in the research. The research is amazing right now. What biomedical engineering is doing right now is fascinating. So in some ways, I really believe we're going to be able to eliminate the need for a huge percentage of hip and knee and shoulder replacements. But the other side of that is we've never faced obesity problems like we've got now. We've never faced, you know, it seems like, again, maybe not Charleston, but nationwide, the percentage of people that actively exercise on, you know, and meet the physical activity guidelines has never been lower. So we're, we've got all of their issues, and then we've got the technology on the other side. And I don't know that the technology alone is going to overcome all of those things. And so that's why if, we're going to have all kinds of tools at our disposal here in the near future, but it may not matter if everybody's overweight and, yeah. and out of shape and in just terrible health, diabetic, uh, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all, you know, bad heart disease. It, there's only going to be so much that biomedical engineering can do if we don't fix some of these problems. So it's, it's both. Especially if a lot of the biomedical stuff is still reactive. Yeah. And it's like how... How successful can you be if you're only reactive? But yeah, um, it's it's surprising knowing that health is like so prioritized in the media right now, especially that we're getting worse. Yeah, 
I have a lot of you can tell, thoughts yeah, of there's why. A rabbit hole I mean, it is, cr- it is crazy because it's what a seventh <laughs> of the GDP or something like that. It's a huge percentage of our healthcare dollar uh, nationwide spent on it. But how much of it is really spent on prevention? I mean, and th- that's not completely true. I mean, there's you know cancer prevention, and there are some things. But in terms of just what we're spending to prevent obesity, I mean, that would be the big one right off the bat. Is just almost none. And you and yeah. I talked before, like, yes, primary care doctors do talk about that with their patients, but they're also seeing too many patients and having to do too many medical charts and not enough time in the day. So they don't really have enough mm-hmm. time to do a lot of education about Who it. Who has the time? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why you're seeing, and you're going to continue to see people that are doing it outside of traditional medicine. They're doing it through online platforms. And, and I know there's challenges with online um, medical information. I get it, just like any kind of information online. But I do feel like you're going to start to see people develop followings that Hmm. are not the doctors necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that'll be interesting to see. But then they've got, we're overcoming TV ads for McDonald's and Coca-Cola that run 24-7. And we're, you know, it must be fair. That that stuff tastes good and it's fun. And and not picking on just fast food. It's alcohol. It's, it's, there's just lots of things um, that, you know, being healthy is not easy. I mean, it requires work. It requires discipline. And uh, uh, it's become too easy to do the wrong thing health-wise. Being, yeah. Coca-Cola, their marketing budget is probably a little bit higher than Made to Move. <laughs> probably. Just a little bit. Yeah, I would think that they uh, they spend more on on just lunch meetings than you guys oh spend. Oh my God. In, hey, uh, I don't know. Sometimes we have cookie cake. Yeah. You know, sometimes we do things that aren't exactly considered healthy. So yeah. tell me about what your new what you're doing at this new practice, like functional sports med, what that really means, what yeah. your day looks like. I'm still seeing people with bone and joint pain, whether it's osteoarthritis or they sprain their ankle or tennis elbow or rotator cuff pain, that kind of thing, that hasn't changed. And a lot of what I do figure out, what's nice in this type of practice is I get a lot more time to spend with people. Mm -hmm. It's not 10 minute slots. I have 30 minutes to an hour. So I really get to know them, what they like to do, where they're really struggling. And, and, And a lot of times it's, it's easy, not easy, but it's the obvious it's, you know, modifying short term, you know, just certain activities to, and, and focusing on others. It's, it's strategies like physical therapy, which is, is so important. But then we also figure out, Hey, there might be some avenues to go that you haven't thought of. You know, uh, we're getting hyperbaric oxygen in our office, which we're really excited about from, you know, muscle injuries and, and lots of different things. We've got all kinds of different treatments for osteoarthritis and cartilage breaking down from, you know, sometimes we'll do peptides, even though I know there's some issues there with the FDA, same thing with exosomes, but we, you know, PRP, uh, shockwave treatments. We've got lots Ooh. of different things that we can throw at this that you won't hear about in a traditional orthopedic surgery practice because insurance doesn't pay for it. And again, they want you to at some point get a knee replacement. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things. It really is personalized, though. It depend, not, it's not cookie cutter. It really depends on people's comfort level, what they're trying to do. Somebody that has a marathon in six weeks is very different than somebody mm-hmm. that runs three miles just for fun every day. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of personalizing a comprehensive strategy to get people back to what they love to do. And isn't that what it should be? Like, you should would healthcare think, be personalized? You, you would think, and it, yeah, it, it absolutely should, because you know this, it, 
no two people are the same. You can take two people on the same soccer team and they're not the same. Dealing with the exact same thing. Exactly. They're completely different. Some people need sort of hands-on, like like literally three days a week of physical therapy where somebody walks them through every day. And then some people just need, hey, show me the exercises and the right way to do them and I'll do it myself. Everybody's Mm -hmm. a little bit different, but that's the problem with any type of medicine that it's, all right, you have this problem. This is the steps to get over it. And this is where YouTube really struggles in, in getting advice on YouTube because you're taking medicine or taking advice that is sort of generic personalizing how this goes is so important and and, uh, not everybody's the same. That is what makes social media really hard because social media, it's really great to show people like general solutions to general problems, but it's never going to be me learning about this person for over an hour and then coming up with the treatment plan. No, It's just never going to be the same. And demonstrating that, is hard because you're like, well, I don't want to make this so murky that now we have a 30 minute video and I'm like, you should just come in and see me. But there's so much nuance in it too. Yeah. You can get kind of bogged down in that. So using it more as a tool to like show people that there is value there, but like, yeah. hey, we need to spend time to make this specific to yeah. you. And like you said, in the traditional model, you don't have time. And so you have to, you have to go out of that model to just have the time yeah. to be able to treat the way that you think that you should be able to treat. Yeah, it's really frustrating. The I don't remember at MUSC. I guess I saw eight patients an hour. Uh, no. Just do the math, and, what? and three of those, two or three, I can't remember. Maybe just two of those were new, and then the others were returns. MUS or uh, East Cooper, it was uh, six. It was every ten minutes. And yeah, I know. Well, while this person's in X-ray, I can be. I get get it, but just think through that. You know, somebody you don't know, you have to explain what kind of problem you're having and, and kind of get into the details. And then they look at x-rays and sort of give you, just just think of how little information you're going to get either side, either the physician or the patient mm-hmm. are going to get out of that. So it, I what I was always proud of over my career up to this point is that I got tons of patients as second opinions that they went to some doctor, they were told, mm-hmm. oh, you've got a meniscus tear. And then they'd come to me and say, he didn't explain what a meniscus tear is or why I need surgery. But even though I feel like I'm good at explaining injuries better in normal language than most people, in 10 minutes, there's only so much you can do. And and that's what's really nice about the all these different providers that are starting to kind of go a different route is that, yeah, you can develop long-term relationships and really get to know mm-hmm. people. I can call them on the phone and say, hey, how is this working? Uh, that you just can't really do in the traditional practice no i mean you can't how many patients is that a day that's over 64 (laughs) you know like if you're doing a full day at musc i was seeing 55 to 60 even anything above eight already eight is like that's too many people that i don't feel like i have the capacity to know everything i need to know about them and give them what i think they need yeah and like how would they feel if you're like hey you're only gonna have 10 minutes with this doctor do people are people aware of that when they come in? Do people choose? You know, they, they might not have another option, but I don't think a lot of people would choose that version of healthcare if they knew 
everything about it and if they knew that there is now another right. option. Yeah, they're not when you make the appointment and this is not just my old practice, this oh, is this across is the country. Uh, when you call and make the appointment, they tell you your appointment's at three twenty. They don't tell you it's from three twenty to three thirty. You know, otherwise people would be like, wait a second, why is this hundred and fifty dollars or you know, whatever it is. Uh, again, it's there's tons of good doctors. I don't mean it like that. It's just the system is not ideal for long-term optimization of health it, yeah. it just isn't and uh you know and i yeah it, there there's but it's maybe what you and i are doing and, and the handful of people that are going a different route maybe it's not for everybody but i feel like there are a whole lot of people that do want to not have back pain when they're playing with their kids mm-hmm. and that want to play softball on their shoulder doesn't hurt every time they swing the bat and, and, and things like that and or just running and not uh, being you know out of breath when they run up the, the mm-hmm. bridge you know so I, I feel that there's growing more and more people that get it but you don't know that until you experience that the traditional mm-hmm. system just doesn't work now that you have like 30 minutes to an hour are you just like Wow, we have so much time. Like, yeah, this is great. They always get thrown off in my office when, uh, depending on who's sitting at the front desk, either mm-hmm. the nurse or the patient support uh, person, when they're offered water or coffee. I mean, it, you don't get that yeah. in a normal office. Um, but it's also it doesn't look like a doctor's office. It looks sort of like a day spa. So you're sitting at this glass table, and uh, yeah, oh, I mean, I think fabulous. there's a lot of it. Yeah, it's nice, uh, and and we talk about you know their jobs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I, I look at this as long-term. I don't expect it's going to be, hey, I'm going to get their problem better and I never see them again. Hopefully I get them better and then I see them a year from now or when something else bothers them. But uh, I need to develop you know, them trusting me that I... You know, I need to know what they're trying to do. What they're, is it that I want to play sports or is it that, hey, I've got a race coming up and that's what's really important to me. Without knowing that, I can't really figure out kind of the best strategy. And, and that takes time to, to get to the bottom of, all right, what is it that this knee pain or this ankle pain is? What's, what's the big picture here? Where do you want to be in a month and six months? And, and that stuff just takes time and, and efforts at building a relationship. And I, I, I haven't been able to do that as much as I like. When, you know, when you're seeing 30 to 60 patients a day, there's, it's just not, it doesn't work. No, I don't think you can like have that many. I think there's a limit to the amount of relationships you can have as yeah. a human. And it's, you're definitely pushing it there. And like you said, like I think the trust is the biggest part of it. Like, do they trust you? Not just like, do they believe you, but do you have a good enough relationship with that patient where they understand that you, you understand them as a person and their goals and you know what they're dealing with and you want to truly help them. Like you can't make a change in someone if they don't trust you. If I just see you on the street and I try to tell you why you should vote for who I want you to vote for. Like, obviously (laughs) we see that that does not work and it just polarizes people even more. Yeah. So when we're trying to make these big changes in, in someone's health, like, why would we think that, oh, I'm a doctor, just listen to me. Right. Just do it. Just eat green vegetables. Yeah. Well, and, and we've talked about this outside of this. You know, one of the things that healthcare has not figured out in this country, and I, I, I know this a lot from just doing the TV segments, but if information alone was enough 
to change people's lives, it would have already happened. Everybody knows that you should eat health, you know, more green vegetables and eat less fast food and less sugar. Everybody knows you should exercise every day. Everybody knows you should cut down on your alcohol, but nobody does it. So it's not just knowledge. We've got to learn how to influence change in people's lives, have them make healthier choices. And that's not really something you can do in 10 minutes every six months. And, uh, and maybe that's not necessarily something that is just dependent on your healthcare professional, but that's where we need to go. We need to really shift, you know, work on shifting people's behaviors, not just throwing information that they probably already know, quite honestly. How do we start to change people's behaviors? That's going to be one of the keys, and, and I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. I, I Ideally, it would be people's pediatricians and people's mm. primary care doctors really having the time to really educate them. And to be fair, having their reimbursement be dependent or, you know, that they get X amount of time and reimbursement for spending an hour with mm-hmm. somebody and teaching them, you know, how to eat healthy and things like that. And honestly, I don't know how you do this. this is, I was an econ major in college, so I should know oh, this on, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but we need to incentivize it for the patient. We need They need maybe lower healthcare premiums or mm-hmm. you know some kind of financial reward for you know, meeting whatever health goals we determine or, you know, your BMI under a certain level or whatever it is. That isn't coming, but I, I kind of feel like this, we need a sort of across the board, we need the hospitals, insurance companies and physicians and all healthcare professionals doing it. But then we also need to incentivize people for, do, for doing mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, otherwise, I, I feel like the benefit or the uh, short-term you know, uh, short-term benefits of the McDonald's and the Chick-fil-A's and the Coca-Cola's yeah. and the the tequila and all that is outweighs long-term uh, outcomes. With oh, it. yeah. I mean, it's the dopamine versus yeah, the dopamine exactly. gratification. And so how do you overcome that? I don't know that there's an easy answer. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep know, working yeah. on it. Yeah, Stay you tuned. and I will have to keep figuring that out. So I feel silly asking this question, but I know it wasn't really a big part of my official schooling when did you get into the psychology, the behavior science, the behavioral change? Yeah, it isn't part of traditional medical education at all. Uh, the The easy answer is I've always been interested in it. I was an economics major in college, and everybody thinks of economics as like GDP and GMP and taxes and inflation. I hated all of that. That's <laughs> that's macroeconomics. I like microeconomics, using incentives to change people's behaviors, hmm. and. The, the field that's really fascinating is behavioral economics. That's if you, the podcast that sort of put it on the map in the book is Freakonomics. It's, oh, yeah. It's all of these different um, strategies. The, the term is nudges, uh, mm. little things you can do to sort of nudge people in the right direction. So, like, I'm fascinated by things like when you, uh, the, it's what happens in a default situation. So, uh, the, the easiest example of that is, uh, organ donation. So you go to the DMV and you can either sign up or not sign up to be an organ donor. And in the United States, at least, and in most countries, you actually have to click the box to be an organ donor. Our organ donation rates in this country or do- organ donor rates, it's ridiculously low. It's like less than 15%. But in the countries where you're, a, you're, when you go to fill out that form, you actually have to click the box to opt out of it. Say, I'm, you're going to be an organ donor unless you click this box the organ donation rates are like 80, 85%. 
just by making the default mm-hmm. that you are going to be an organ donor, people are inherently lazy. So you <laughs> in, you basically make make the default the healthy option. And that's just one of infinite number of nudges. But we're going to need to get behavioral scientists involved in healthy outcomes because again, information doesn't change people's behavior. You have to also do things that that make it easy to do the right thing. So we have to use psychology and what we know about the human to get them to do what we want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's no question that can be dangerous, but I feel like there's ways to do it uh, in healthy ways. And, and to be fair, this is already going on. Every this isn't year. new. I mean, insurance companies do this all the time with little incentives to get you to go get your annual physical and things like and like that. But it, it's it's got to be where we need to get it, and this is really more of the musculoskeletal and orthopedic, we've got to figure out ways to get people eating healthier and to lose weight and to exercise on a regular basis. And, and I feel like just telling them they need to do that isn't going to work. We've got to figure out whether it's social uh, media uh, recognition, whether it's, you know, you know, I don't even know what kind of financial incentives, but we need to sort of look at all sorts of strategies to help people make it a habit. And then once it becomes a habit, you and I both know this, once you start exercising and it's just something you do every day, it is so easy to continue. So we just need to get people to make green vegetables the natural, the habit, to make going for a run, you know, most days of the week. You know, all the, if we can make these habitual, we'll change people's lives. We can just make it a part of their routine. Yeah. Have you read Atomic Habits by James I have. Yeah. I loved it. Like, I thought yeah. there were so many good nuggets there. Just And it made me really realize all the things that might come easy to people like us, like, because they're just a habit. It's a part of my life, and it's a part of your identity, too. Yeah. Especially, like, the deeper you get into it, being into your identity, like, almost the harder that it gets. And it's like, how do we, how do we create these habits in other people? And what we know, and like we talked about before, if we try to just throw someone in the fire... They're going to be demoralized. Yeah. They're going to be probably super sore from it. <laughs> they're going to be. They're going to get all this negative feedback. Yeah. They're going to get negative reinforcement. When what we want is the positive reinforcement, the like on Facebook, the short-term gratification of getting a McDonald's burger or whatever, and they feel awful after. <laughs> it's like, how do we start to give people that short-term? reinforcement the positive reinforcement it doesn't happen by being like hey david you need to make all of the changes you possibly can right now yeah you're gonna shut off and you're not gonna do anything right and that's where i don't know you might know better than i would but and and i would never do that i just don't have this kind of time but that's where i really believe you know there's all these life coaches and career coaches Mm -hmm. and coaches for every and I know there are health coaches out there, but somebody like that could really make a difference that does have the ability to call somebody once a week and just little bit sort of nudging them in the right direction. Because um, physicians in any field don't have time. Really, no health care provider can really do that. But I feel like there's got to be something like that. You, you've got, and it may not be a single person. Maybe it's a group of people that come together that, hey, we're going to do this. You know, and we're going to start, even though none of us have ever run, a, you know, 10 feet in our lives, we're going to shoot for a 5K six months from now. And all 30 of us are going to do it. We're going to pull each other along. There's all kinds of strategies, but it's going to take more than, like you say, just top down people saying you need to do this. Mm-hmm. It's the community aspect of yeah. it. And it's 
that's why CrossFit gyms are really successful. Absolutely. Because you're surrounding yourself with people that are doing the behaviors that you want to do yourself. And like, yeah, you have the great coaches, but you also have all of the people that are living the life the way that you want to. Like in Atomic Habits, surround yourself with people that are living their lives the way you want to live yours. Yeah. And it'll happen. And with the health coaching thing, we've kind of started to explore that route knowing that a lot of our conversations with our patients have turned into being acting kind of like a health coach, knowing that we're trying to make this a long-term process. We're trying to help you make small, sustainable changes. And when people hear physical therapy, like, I don't, I don't want to know what they think of, (laughs) but I know what they think of when they think of personal training and Mm -hmm. health coaching. And I would say what we do here looks more like that than traditional physical therapy. It's, it's now becoming a bigger field too. There's a bigger push. I mean, yeah, there's a coach for literally everything. Um, But there is a push. You can get a degree in being a health coach. But the day of everything being siloed is going away too, where the personal trainers just teach people how to exercise Mm -hmm. and the physical therapists just rehab from injuries. You're going to see a lot more overlap. And you mentioned uh, the Atomic Habits and CrossFit. That's why exercise actually really matters to me. I'll mention a different habits book, uh, Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The keystone habit is is what makes everything else work. And if you can make yourself start exercising as a habit, all these other healthy habits start to take okay. place. All of a sudden, Catalyst. you're going to want to eat healthier. You're going to want to not drink six beers when you go out to, you know, but exercise, exercise is a huge keystone habit. It Mm -hmm. changes your life. If you can make that something you do every day, I promise you're not going to want to be, you know, have a hundred extra pounds. If you're working out every day, you'll want it. It just happens. I don't even know that I can explain how it happens, but more than anything else, exercise seems to be the health keystone habit that I've seen. That's super cool. The other things follow, the healthy eating, sleeping better, mm-hmm. the just taking better care of yourself, taking your medicines and supplements. If you make yourself exercise, your life changes. Yeah, the movement part of it. Anyone that's ever started exercise or, or joined an exercise community knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Is that you start to make all of these other changes based on this. It's like the catalyst, it's the gateway drug. So I I say all the time, like when people come in here, their pain is often the gateway drug because it's like, oh, you're having this pain. Well, let's look at all the other aspects of your life. Now, how can we shift it to, you're trying to get into exercising more, exercise is the gateway drug, and then look at all these other changes you can make. Yeah. Uh, That's really cool. I like that. Keystone Habit. I have that book on my list. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's not a new concept. Uh, Lots of people have been talking about it, but you mentioned you were you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said you can't just throw everything like I'm going to do this 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 and this starting tomorrow. Let me tell you, I can I'll bet anything that's not going to work. But one thing you start slowly and build into it, and then once you've got a handle on that and you've increased it, then you add another healthy habit in your life. Soon your life changes. But if you're going to start with one exercise, is where you start because that makes everything else better. Yeah. And if for any other reason, you feel better. And if you feel better, then you're motivated to change. Exactly. It's probably because the exercise, I mean, I could argue sleeping for eight hours, something makes me feel better. Yeah. But the exercise is probably the quickest I feel better immediately. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have the dopamine, we have the endorphins, we have the positive reinforcement where nutrition takes a little bit longer. It's more yeah. of a commitment. Sleep can kind of go, you know, you can be a little bit more inconsistent. Stress management is more of a preventative thing. 
that's that's definitely probably why it is just immediate yeah i find myself like i have a lot of patients and clients that i feel like i often have to hold back because they get to where they feel really good and they're like okay i'm gonna go run three miles every single day this week and they're like why aren't you into that like is it gonna be bad for me i'm like it's not that it's bad for you it's that i fear that you're trying to do too much that we could start smaller and make Mm -hmm. sure that you can really do this really well for the next month and then make it harder yeah and that's kind of unique to have people that are like they're everyone's trying to do all or nothing yeah you really have to make it a behavior that comes naturally that you do it whether or not you think about it or not because willpower just as the book says the willpower doesn't work you you it, it you burn it up almost immediately you have to get to where doing the right thing from a health standpoint just happens because that's what you're used to doing. If you're relying on willpower to avoid the the donut in the morning, if it's mm-hmm. sitting on your counter, I mean, that isn't going to work for very long at all. But if you can get rid of all that in your home and, and only have healthy options and you don't have to rely on your willpower, it's you know then it's a lot easier. So it's a lot of that. We, we, at, at the end of the day, we've got to figure out how uh, to help everybody. And, and I really mean help everybody make choices that help them feel and perform better. And and we're headed there, but we have a huge mountain to climb. Uh, We are starting way behind uh, when you just look at society. Oh, goodness. But, you know, you can only help the people that want to be helped, too. Yeah, that's a good point. So you are actually seeking and getting further education. I am, actually. Uh, And and I wish I could tell you exactly when I'm going to start, because every time I think it's going to happen, then the pandemic and COVID changed. Yeah. So I got into uh, my master's program for behavioral science at the London school of economics. And I was supposed to start this month, actually September in London. Well, it's executive. So it's mostly online, but you have to go to London three times uh, for three, two week blocks. How long is this program? 16 months. I want to do this. And you have to do a research project and all this. But the problem was, is that one, I was leaving my current practice and wasn't sure when I deferred, you know, was I going to be able in my new job to take two and a half weeks off three different times. And then COVID happened. And then when I deferred, I was going to have to quarantine for 14 days before I got there. So I was yeah. going to have to take a month off each time. So I deferred and I'll reapply, uh, reprocess it this mm-hmm. fall. But now that COVID is, is crazy again, I don't know if it'll happen next year. At some point, this is going to happen. Um, because I think it's fascinating and I, and I would really love to not just give people information that helps people, but actually teach them how to do it. Maybe not, mm-hmm. may just be on a small scale with just my patients in the office, but I'm going to get people exercising that have never exercised before. I'm going to mm-hmm. get people to drop weight, even if they've never dropped weight before, because I think just simple behavioral strategies and programs can do that. Um, so I'm excited about it's it. It's like, you know how on like, Let's say, like on our little like sandwich board outside, we're like, oh, we offer dry needling, we offer cuff, we offer cupping, we offer strength training. Like what we should say is, we offer behavior change. Yeah, I think it's a treatment. The argument is, is that you know, (laughs) what you and I would, we'd probably have to word that a little better because that sounds kind of scary. But um, (laughs) we're gonna change your, we're gonna influence uh, you and change your behaviors. But. It's a treatment modality, though, but it's it's really like the umbrella for everything yeah. that we should be doing. But I would have given anything. You know, I started, I played sports growing up forever, and then I got to travel soccer. So I went from 
every sport to then just play mm-hmm. in one sport. And I finally burned out of that. And I was like, oh, if I don't stay active, I'm going to get like fat. And I'm just, so I started at the same time lifting weights at a Gold's Gym in Memphis, Tennessee. This is before anybody lifted weights other than the bodybuilders. So it's these started huge guys. Yeah. Cool. And then the, uh, I started running and it was miserable. Like I was like Mis- really struggling. I would have given anything for, you know, somebody to just say, all right, no, all you have to do today is this. And then, Hey, great. You know? And then just slowly instead, I didn't know what I was doing, just going all out, just trying to survive in the heat of Memphis, trying to mm-hmm. run and all. And there's just so many easier ways to get started in exercise and health than <laughs> just immersion and, and, and yeah. And just, uh, you know, but thank, thankfully, there's some wood yeah. to knock on. Is I I grew to love it really mm-hmm. fast, uh, and you know that so it wasn't that big of a deal. But I really want to help people do it in ways that it's much more sustainable than the way I learned to do it. Yeah. What are some of those possible ways? Easier ways. Well, it, the one that I, I've been sort of toying around with, as far as like, all right. Let's just use running as an example. If you wanted to start running, which if you're going to start an exercise routine, that's a pretty good one to start with because you don't need fancy equipment. You mm-hmm. don't need a gym membership. Well, you know, Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, but you don't start out like idiot me did and say, I'm going to run three miles that first day when I'm out of running shape, not in running shape at all. No, you, you just say, all right, wherever you live, all you do today is run around the block. That's it. You know, a minute and a half or two, whatever it is. That's all you do. If you want to do more, no, you can't do any more. No. <laughs> just the just the block and a half. And then the next day, um, you add a hundred feet to that, mm-hmm. and, and little things like that. Um, or in the case of going to the gym, if you wanted to start lifting weights, it would be. Every day you you have to go to the gym. Even if you're not feeling good, you still drive to the gym yes. and walk in the door. You can walk out as soon as you walk in, but you have to drive there. It's it's about making it habits. And the easier it is on the front end, the more likely you stick to it. You mentioned if you start out too hard and you burn, that's not sustainable. If you go too hard at the, the I, I'm amazed I made it through what I was doing. Um, but I was around all my friends and my family yeah, were super healthy. So I had role models to look at, but that doesn't too. work for most people. So it's, it's little things about how to make it super easy. I like the, like just driving to the gym because like if you just put on your workout clothes yeah, or exactly, you start and you like, maybe you write something on the board, it's almost harder to not work out. Yeah. Like you're like, okay, I'm already doing this. I'm already at the gym. So it's just, like it's like the five minute rule. Just do something for five minutes. After that, yeah. you have permission to stop. But most people will keep going. Yeah, once you're there, you drove all like That's why the hard would I not? It's like yeah. I used to feel like during PT school or stressful times, like getting to the gym was the hardest part. And as soon as I get there, I was like, the hard part's over. I'm already here. Mm-hmm. And with the way that like group classes are now, you almost don't even have to think if you don't want to. You just go. You do what they say, and then you leave. And yeah. it's fun it's enjoyable and that's why i think i think group classes are super beneficial there's obviously a benefit to having like individual work but for the you know the catalyst part of it getting people started yeah i think the community aspect is definitely like intangible and there's another sort of behavioral science concept this you and i wouldn't we'd cringe at this because I, I bet you work out as hard as I do. So you'd never do this. But if you're just starting out, there's a concept called temptation bundling that works really well. So like if your thing that you like to do at home is watch Grey's Anatomy or something like, you know, some guilty pleasure, 
you just make it a rule where I can only you can only watch Grey's Anatomy while you're exercising. So you can put oh, it on your okay. iPad or phone and watch it on the treadmill or watch it on the but you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of things like music or and it doesn't have to just be exercise. It's if you hate folding the laundry, you, all right, I'm only going to listen to whatever my music is while I'm folding the yeah. laundry. But that seems to work really well with people that don't like to exercise. And again, we're not to, there's no question like your phone it's, in fact, I, I'm doing a uh, podcast later today, and I'll be talking about the. You're if busy you, on podcast yeah, today. You, well, this is one I do, but oh, okay. uh, this uh, if I, uh, if you use your phone during a workout, your power output is worse. Your uh, just overall, you perform worse. So I'm not saying everybody should use their phone, but for people just starting out, I don't care what it is, whatever gets you in the gym or gets you walking yeah. or gets you running, I'm all for. We'll deal with your performance when you get further along. Uh, but so that's an, uh, an idea that I always like. If it means if if watching, you know, the Kardashians will make you spend 30 mm-hmm. minutes on the treadmill, I'm fine with it. Uh, then as soon you being on the treadmill will become its own reward and you won't need all of that. Yeah. The, the psychology of that, like putting something miserable with something that's super enjoyable. Yeah. And then we start to make the association that that miserable thing is, Oh wait, it's now enjoyable. Yeah. The, the one that people like to do, and I, I, the, I hesitate to suggest temptation bundling in this sense, but this is what everybody does. They'll say, all right, if I go to the gym, then I'll reward myself with a bunch of alcohol yeah. or, or some bad meal. And then that sort of, defeats the purpose. I mean, and to be fair, this Beachbody has made a, you know, a business really? off of that with that orange, whatever Kool-Aid drink. That's a recovery drink. That's just a ton of sugar. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, but you know, I get it if that gets you exercising, but try not to use un, you know, really unhealthy habits to, yeah. to, uh, reward your good habits. Cause you don't want to reverse all the damn, all the benefits you created with the exercise. There's that side of it. There's like, I don't, I don't want you to only be doing this so that you feel good about mm-hmm. doing this thing that you normally wouldn't feel good about. And then there's the other side of it of, I don't want, because people will, will view it this way, I don't want you to have to earn your food. Because yeah. that's another side, like especially with the fitness industry and like women, but definitely also men. Like, oh, I have to work, I have to be on the elliptical for an hour so I can earn my yeah. dinner tonight. Yeah. Even if that dinner is something that's completely normal and healthy, it's so like rewarding, going with the temptation bundling in that aspect, I think it has a couple negative possibilities yeah. and effects. Yeah, I agree. The food is not the temptation. I would I would yeah. bundle with it. I would do just something that gets you on the treadmill. There's all kinds of issues with using food as a reward generally. I mean, that's largely why I mean not so much anorexia but you know the exercise form of bulimia where mm. people and this was really bad where I went to college where especially girls they would uh, work out for hours mm-hmm. just so they could eat a bunch and, and that's not healthy either you know, I so. hate when people are like oh you can eat that way because you work out a lot and I'm like oh like <laughs> no that's not it like I'm allowed to give myself like a treat yeah. every now and then like I work out because it makes me feel good right. and it makes me healthy um, there's also like the I don't know if you've seen like orthorexia like the people that are obsessed with being yeah. healthy and it's interesting how we can make something healthy become unhealthy. Yeah, unfortunately, you can get addicted to way more than just uh, just drugs. 
you can get addicted to behavior and all sorts mm-hmm. of other things. And, and addiction to anything is not a good thing. And, and that, yeah, it can be exercise. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, eating certain ways. And there's, there is room or benefits to moderation for sure. Oh, yeah. Food as a, food as a reward and exercise as a punishment feel like it's how our society kind of already works like I I remember we would I mean it's the idea of doing sprints if you lost a soccer game Duh. and like ours we, was wall squats yeah, yeah exactly. I remember um or like doing burpees or something like that and for some people like you can detach from it but if you take kids who are just forming relationships with exercise and food and you start to show them food is a reward exercise is a punishment like that's what they're going to take yeah. um, with their, their life. So yeah, like starting with the pediatricians, like you said, starting with the primary care, starting like physical education in schools, like how to be healthy. Yeah. Wow. Like that was lacking. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, what my dad, the P classes were dodgeball and, mm-hmm. uh, flag football and uh, taught by coaches that only had to do that so that they could get paid to coach the football football, team. uh, You know, we need change across the board, but I really believe there's a lot of people out there that that really do want to feel better and, and be healthier. And so that's what makes it so great that what you guys are doing and and everybody, you know, that really care about this. There's a lot there's, there's the opportunities and the resources out there now, especially with, the internet so much more than there were 20 years ago so mm-hmm. I, I feel like if you care about this stuff there are ways there are avenues you people you can approach who can help you become healthy like never before oh, and yeah. then if you don't you know I don't know that I feel all that sorry for you if you don't want to take care of yourself you know it's not at the end of the day that's I I, I, I don't know it's hard it's getting harder and harder to feel sorry for people that know everything and just voluntarily choose to not live healthy. That, that's fine. That's your choice. That's, but you get the responsibility of what comes of that too. How do you shift that from like information isn't enough to cause change? Yeah, it, it's really tricky. And, and you, I, you get everybody, you, you try, you know, you try all these programs and if they then just choose not to do it, at some point you focus on the ones that do. Yeah, like you can't force people to make yeah. decisions. Yeah. It's like the, the a huge percentage, this is not just a health thing, but I mean, a huge part of our society, it's immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like people that, that have whatever, I mean, you see this in your world too, but whatever shoulder problem, and they want to go straight to surgery, even though their problem could get better Oof. with some simple rehab, yeah. or, or they want a shot and don't want to do some exercises to get better. And, and I've never... That's a tough one to overcome this. I just want a quick fix. Fortunately, in my new practice, I'm kind of getting people that are exactly the opposite now, which is Same. a great change. Yeah. But there is a huge immediate gratification mindset out there, um, both from a nutrition, exercise, that, but then getting over injuries. And we really have to shift the mindset to what's best long term. And I, I don't know that I have the answer for how to do that in the general population. Uh, you and I are both fortunate to work with people that get it, but uh, that's a hard, it's hard to get people to flip that switch in their head. That, oh, yeah. No, I don't, you don't want the quick cortisone shot. You want some things that don't harm your body and yes, get the problem better so that it doesn't just come back six weeks from now. 
Yeah. And, and that's, that's tricky. Uh, that's not going to be a quick, uh, a simple change. I'm sure you have people that say the same thing, but I have people on, in their first paragraph, they're like, I don't want a quick fix. It's almost like why they're here. Yeah. It's because they've either tried a quick fix. I mean, I have people that are, they don't want to take Advil every day. They don't want to have to get cortisone shots. They don't want to have to go get this. And they're coming to this because they don't want a quick fix. And that's super cool. Yeah. And once they're on the same page of this is going to be a long term, we're going to address all these things. It's easy from there. Right. The hard part is getting someone who has had quick fixes and it's worked or they want quick fixes. They, they don't see this as a long-term process. The, the hardest people are, you're going to fix me. And it's like the agency of change, the control is, is not on me. It's on you. Right. And as soon as they put it on me, like I have to put it back on them, you know, <laughs> they're like, Oh, you fixed me. And that's a, an amazing compliment. But like, yeah. I don't even like that terminology because I showed you the tools like, yeah, sure. I am, I empowered you, but right. you did this yourself because that's the thing is you have to do these things yourself. You have to yeah. make the decision. The quick fixes are easy because they are done to you. Right. The hard work comes when you have to do it. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's almost in a different way. What I used to say to my surgical patients that would do well and occasionally the ones that didn't, um, I would tell them that it, it wasn't just me. You know, it's, it's, Recovery just from surgery, this is true with any injury, it's sort of a three-prong monster. I mean, about a third of it is how good the doctor or surgeon are. I mean, the surgery's got to go well technically and everything else. How good the physical therapist and how good the rehab are. But then a third of it is the patient. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you can have the best surgeon and best physical therapist in the world. If the patient doesn't do the work, it's not going to turn out well. And so you need every part of it you know everybody has to be on board and uh and i the patients that do well often don't realize that a lot of what they did was the reason they were doing well they just assumed it was being done to Mm -hmm. them but i can't make you do your exercises at home i can't and and so um that's where what you and i do is is you know encouraging them and 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 educating them about this stuff so that they take the initiative themselves. And that's what I think is really great about people that actually care about getting themselves better. And, and then as far as, then you're right, there are people that have had a bunch of quick fixes and then at some point it stops working and then they end up in our world because now they're like, all right, quick fix isn't the way to go. What I'm encouraged about is those people tell their friends who then come Having, but having not Mm -hmm. gone down that route, that's what would be ideal is if we can get people trying things that are surgery. Don't get me wrong. I've done thousands of surgeries and, but that is not a benign thing. I mean, surgeries have real risks and do you ever completely get that part of the body back to normal? It's hard Mm -hmm. to say. So if you can avoid surgery, you absolutely want to avoid surgery. Sometimes you can't, I get it. But, um, and so, you know, if you can capture a lot of these people and get them better in a long-term sense without just cutting on them and, or doing cortisone shots and stuff, I really feel like that's better for 40 years later. So if you can avoid surgery, that's the best option. If you can. And there's, yeah, I mean, I, there's people say, well, sometimes you can't. There aren't that many surgeries that we do. I mean, there's a few, I guess. You, you break your femur in a car accident. I mean, yeah, there's obviously things. But I'm talking about more long-term, you know, anything that leads to joint replacements. or mm. there, There's a lot of things, you know, 
that we can get you better, especially if you if you get it checked out before it's been hurting for five years. Yeah. You know, like you know, it's going to take a long time to get better if you've just let it go for a long time. But if you can kind of catch something early and start working on fixing the mechanics and fixing the weak muscle groups that are putting all the stress there and maybe switch your activities to avoid stress on that for just a little bit. And a whole lot of this, uh, yeah, and then getting your weight down and, and getting your inflammation mm-hmm. issues under control. I feel like we could cut, I, I don't know a number, but yeah. 40, 50% of, of orthopedic surgeries yeah. out. Um, but that, I mean, that's a lot of change, but I, I really believe that we're doing a lot of surgeries that wouldn't have been necessary had, you know, people taking care of themselves and we dealt yeah. with stuff earlier. I think people think a lot, a lot of people think me and then also like made to move that, that we're against surgery. And it's like, no, we're not against surgery. We want you to know all of your options, make an informed decision right. and be confident with that decision and feel like you made it and try other things like try, try to view surgery as a last resort. Surgery is not the devil. Like westernized medicine is super cool, but we often don't get a lot of press for the things that aren't right. surgery. Yeah. It's funny when you guys first, cause you guys are so great on Instagram. I, oh, I really gosh. need to learn from you guys, but, one of the, on. <laughs> but at first when, especially when Eve started it, there was a lot of what felt like sort of anti-doctor messages, but mm-hmm. now I've sort of figured out that's not really what you're saying. What you're, um, what you're saying is don't just go and assume, all right, I have, you know, surgery is my only option, sort of kind of get feedback. And the problem is that you might not get other options going, as we talked about earlier, you know, in traditional orthopedic surgery right now, they incentivize surgery or get them out the door. So that's where it can be helpful. And it's why it's a good thing you guys aren't in the insurance model, but I do like uh, direct access because mm-hmm. it gives people the chance to see a physical therapy that. first. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, none of us are right and everybody else is wrong. It doesn't work that way, but, but sort of getting all the information you mm-hmm. can and then making the best decision for you long-term is the key. And sometimes there are going to be times where surgery is necessary, but even then going into it, you know, with whatever that system is optimized and, exactly. and then having a plan afterwards to recover from that. I mean, it, there's, it's a comprehensive thing. And so that's why I admire what you guys do. Cause it's not an us versus them. That's not what anybody's saying. It's just that it's about giving people the information so they can do what's best for them. Yeah, I think we definitely probably have come off as like demonizing, and we are trying to be better about that. Of like, like oh, I didn't mean it. In no, a bad no, no. Way. <laughs> I, it's something that I've I've been a part of. Like I've noticed too, and it's it's very easy to do to be like, no, we're better, we're right, but in the end, we're an option, and we mm-hmm. want people to make informed decisions. Like I have patients all the time who are considering surgery. And I just want to make sure that they know everything they need to know. Like you said, they prepare before so they have the best outcome and they are prepared for the after process so they have the best outcome. It's like, whatever decision you make, how can we optimize it? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's super easy to be like, oh, all surgery sucks. Well, like, a lot of people probably wouldn't be where they are today without surgery, too. So, um, the all or nothing, the spectrum is always the hard, you know, the middle is the hardest place to be, but that's that's what we're working on. And that's what's so great about as medicine's changing is that there are people that are like, I am now in control of whatever decisions I make about my health. And it's really nice to work with people that that they want what's best for them instead of just doing what they're told. Uh, 
you know, I like people asking about, hey, does this supplement help, you know, whatever the problem is? And that they've done, the online stuff gets a ton of bad rap. And and there are some good reasons for that. But most of those people care. And I like that. Mm -hmm. The fact that they do wonder if quercetin is good for them and and might limit their disc disease. And and, uh, I'm all for people that that actively care about being healthier. Yes, they're an active part of their health. They're on the team. They're in control and they're owning it. We want people to be in control of their health. Absolutely. And, And that's... We're getting, I think that we're sort of on the same side, but there's going to get more and more people that are, you know what, I, I'm ready to kind of get back to why I went into healthcare in the first place. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the system will change. It may not change quickly, and I'm not sure what the future is for physical therapy, but I feel like Who it's changing. Knows? But I feel like there's more and more people that are like, this isn't ideal for what I want to do. Uh, what'll be interesting is, again, how it works out with insurance, and is this just becoming people either insurance is sort of traditional, and it'll be interesting to see where this heads. But I, I feel that people's, there's a bright, there, there's potential. There's a yeah. light at the end of the tunnel for people, but uh, do people follow it or not? We'll just have to see. It's interesting because a few years ago, I had never heard of a direct pay doctor, direct pay functional sports medicine yeah. doctor, direct pay PT. It was unheard yeah. of, and now it's it's so prominent. And yeah. like, how can we? Well, mine's not. Yours is a little more prominent. I, uh, yours is getting. What I'm prominent. finding out is that you have no idea who's going to do it. And I, I have people that you know. I saw their whole family for injuries. Mm. I would meet them at the office on Saturdays, you know, and do it for free. And then they won't come to me now yeah. uh, because it's. And, and that's fine. I, I, I people, it's their hard-earned money. I don't resent people for in, you know any decisions they make. But it's it's surprising to me who gets it and who doesn't and who's supportive and who doesn't. I've got the people that just like, hey, it's the long term. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I care about. And then I've got the people that are like, ooh, you do that treatment? You're the only person I know that does it. I want to come to you just because uh. you do it. So that that's kind of neat too. But then there's people that just because they've got health insurance through their employer. I, I get mm-hmm. it. I, I don't resent any of that. But um, you know, I, I hope that we're not at that point forever. We're, I, I hope that this becomes something that everybody has access to. Mm-hmm. But the system as it is right now, just as, you know, it just doesn't reward what you and I do. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's okay. Uh, it, it's, it's exciting anyway to make a change for, for people that really want it. Exactly. Like you said, like we, we are going to completely change the system but we can change what we do yeah and like the butterfly effect hopefully of that is is huge either way yeah no that i haven't even thought of it that way no i think that's true and and clearly you guys i mean it i don't can't remember how long you've told me this is what seven years, um, six, years? six years in december i think yeah. yeah um but i mean now i mean you guys are like booked out a month or something that's an amazing i mean that's a congratulations was, thank you he was like oh i need to get a few i need to get like two or three evals a week and now it's like yeah. 30 to 40 a month and yeah, it's, it's awesome. cool it's also just like what the power of relationships mm-hmm. and the power of people then in Charleston prioritizing their health yeah too and we're lucky to live somewhere that despite what people think about South Carolina and the South as a whole Charleston is a very healthy place mm-hmm. we're lucky that people like to kayak and paddleboard and run bridge, and, yeah. do a workout yeah yeah so I mean that that makes it 
a little bit better. I mean, I'm from Memphis, and Memphis isn't nearly this healthy. Uh, and I love oh, Memphis. I, have, I don't say that yeah, badly. No, but, family in South Mississippi and South yeah. Louisiana. It's it's a different game. Yeah. So, Being in the South, yeah. even, is tough. But fried chicken tastes so good. It tastes I mean, so good, David. <laughs> macaroni and cheese. Come on. I Yeah. It, it, but it, it's great. Uh, it, I, I'm fortunate to be in a city that people... You know, care about yeah. you know this kind of stuff. I mean, the sport, adult sports leagues are busy here. And right? There's yeah. Just, there's mm-hmm. just and the yeah, you mentioned CrossFit and the boot camps and all. It, yeah, in that sense, it's great. So, uh, and and I think more and more of these people are just like, hey, what can I do? I can't give up men's league soccer, but mm-hmm. I got this. It, it, in that sense, it's it's really great. We have um, so many people coming from the northeast now too. So many people yeah. moving here. Where they're used to this, like concierge yeah. doctor service, and they're at you know fifty to seven years old, they're like, oh, I need yeah. to prioritize my health. Um, so that's exciting too. Just Charleston, the way that it's growing. Yeah. So where can our followers find you and your practice? Yeah. So for the practice part, uh, I just joined a practice called Better Life Carolinas in Mount Pleasant, and I'll. Depending on when this podcast comes yeah, out, I may already nice. be seeing patients a few days a month up in Charlotte as okay. well. They have an office in Charlotte, uh, just waiting on the medical license to go through. But yeah, yeah we're on Coleman, Coleman and Mount Pleasant and uh, up in uh, Charlotte. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll give you the phone number to put in the, the link to this. Call us anytime if there's a bone joint problem, things like that. And then if you're just interested in this kind of thing, but not necessarily to see me as a patient, but just to learn more about things like peptides and exosomes and aging and mental health and all sorts of aspects of physical health. I mean, I'm all over anywhere online. The the website, drdavidgeyer.com, and every social media account, it's whatever, you know, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, slash Dr. David Geyer. I do, I've probably done 3,000 maybe articles and videos. Awesome. Uh, and then, you know, ABC and Fox uh, here, I'm on every day and every night. So, uh, really? Yeah. So, huh. I'm not hard to find. Uh, You're everywhere. Just re- a reach celebrity. out anytime. No, 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 no. no. I am I not a celebrity. Feel like in the health but, world, you might be a celebrity. But, uh, no, I. I it's all about trying to give information that helps people and then uh, hopefully people then take the initiative to use that information to feel and perform better. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, David. It's been great. Uh, it was so much fun. Uh, and congratulations again, the podcast and the practice. You guys are doing great. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram, find us at Healthy Charleston, leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.